seem really happy today. Are we happy in Jesus today? Amen. Come on in. Let's bring the kids in. Let's go ahead and stand if we can. Oh, no, I'm not ready to stand. You may be seated. Or maybe we can stand. Maybe we can sit down. This week's challenge, I want to open with this week's challenge. It's uh, our statement to pray is my, that my conduct would be honest and honoring and holiness before God. And it, it, striving to be holy means that we have a relationship with God and obey his will, being shaped by his character. So the more we walk with God, the more we're like God, the more we're like God, the more holy we are. The scripture to memorize is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, which says, But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So let's uh, go ahead and stand and let's pray for that. Remember to take a day of fasting as you memorize and you pray this week, this statement. Father, you are a holy God. And I desire to be like you. Help me live, in my, live my life in a way that is worthy and pleasing to you. Search my heart and see if there's any cherished sin that's lurking within me. Mark it and destroy it, for I know that the only one with clean hands and a pure heart may stand in your presence. If there's anything displeasing uh, to you in our lives, we ask that in your grace you would root it out so that I may live in holiness, clothed in righteousness, and separated unto you, walking in godly love. Let us be like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Surely in this place we won't be quiet. 
more 
So find me here in your presence. I'm not leaving the same. Let your refining fire purify me again. Let the weight of your glory bring me back to my knees. Oh God, come with revival.
Father, you can start it in me. Start it in me. Start it in me, Lord. Refine me. Transform me. Change me. Let unity glorify you. Let our oneness give you honor and praise. Father, let my offering today be a sacrifice of truth, that I am honest in my faith in you, not my faith in the mighty dollar. Search my heart for trust and obedience to your way. And let me know when I'm not. Make it clear. Let my hands not bear the marks of selfishness, but bear the gift of marks of, of your marks of sacrifice. Let my offering be a sacrifice truly of praise. In Jesus' example, let me give every aspect of my life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. There's a new song we're going to do. It's called This Is Our God. sin and shame and they were like prisons that we couldn't escape but he came and he died and he rose those walls are rubble now remember those giants we called death and grave and they were like mountains that stood in our way but he came and he died and he rose 
Those giants are dead now And this is our God, this is who He is He loves us This is our God, this is what He does He saves us He bore the cross, beat the grave Let heaven and earth proclaim This is our God, King Jesus Remember that fear that took our breath away a faith so weak that we could barely pray but he heard every word a whisper and now those altars in the wilderness they tell a story of his faithfulness never once did he fail he never Amen. Let's uh, dismiss the uh, kids at this time. You are dismissed. Thank you, guys. Let's dismiss the teens at the same time. Teens are having class today. They don't want to listen to me. They're tired of listening to me. When I was a teenager, I didn't want to listen to old people. And you may be seated if you're not. Or the cross, beat the grave. Bore the cross, beat the grave. 
bore the cross, beat the grave. Death has no hold on us. I was talking to Pat this morning. And Pat was saying we need more wrath. Is that what, isn't that what you said? It's kind of what you were saying. So you're not going to get it today. Next week. But it is a, in the midst of this season, as we're in Isaiah, it is the beginning of a three-part, three-part sermon on being bittersweet or the bittersweetness of the word of God. And it takes a lot to believe in a God that sometimes is sweet and sometimes isn't so sweet. And we don't want to actually believe that God. We want to believe that God is all love, not all Lord. He's the same. So not that this has anything to do with anything, but this verse stuck with me this morning and I can't get it out of my head. And so I thought, well, before we pray, we're going to pray this, this verse. It's Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. And I wish you could see this place up here. I got receivers for sound. I got lights. I got glasses. I got a pen. I got a hymn book. I got a Bible. I got notes and my phone. Just in case I get a call. <laughs> I want to be prepared for everything today. But we're going to pray this prayer in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. Because haven't you heard of the Lord's fame? Don't you stand in awe of his deeds? See, because I feel like we live in a time where we've stopped believing that God can do great and mighty things. Repeat them in our day, Habakkuk is crying out. In our own time, make them known. Let me see you do great and mighty things. When was the last time you actually honestly prayed that prayer? In wrath? Remember mercy. Let's pray. I'm going to get on my knees and hopefully I can get back up. <clears throat> Father, as I read your word, I see amazing things that you did for your people. From something as simple as creating us to creating marriage to covering our sins, to answering prayers, to healing the broken, to empowering your people to put up with true trial and tribulation. 
and still give them a boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my own life, I stand in awe of the work that you've done in my life, how you've transformed me and changed me, given me a life that I never expected. But I know there's greater things that you can do for your glory, not for mine. So I ask you, my prayer for you this morning is do something that you've done before. I think of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And how 3,000 were saved in a day. I stand in awe of that, that you can move on a whole group of people to where they cry out, men and brethren, what should we do? Because they're so pricked in the heart by the Holy Spirit of God. I think of Peter and James, Peter and John going to church and seeing a crippled man who's asking for financial help. So they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he gets up and they find him dancing and leaping and praising God. Let us believe that you can make broken people dance and leap and praise God. I don't know if this fits the sermon. I have no idea. I'm just trying to be as obedient as I can to you this morning, Father. I'm just trying to take what you say and hopefully speak it to them that they hear what you say. Father, if there's a great need in the room, Show them who you are. So that we may say, this is our God. This is who he is. Because we know he loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever just get in that moment where you just feel like staying in prayer? Like, you don't want to get out. You don't want to be interrupted. You don't want to be bothered by a congregation of people waiting on me to preach something. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm I'm just saying sometimes God just does that. If I were to tell you that this week we were going to talk about something positive, one, you'd probably be happy because there's so much negativity in the world. And two, if you heard that something was going to be positive, you'd probably invite someone to church to hear something positive. But if I told you that we're going to talk about something negative, you might find something else to do with your time. And probably would not invite someone to church that Sunday. I think we like to talk about the wonderful things of God, but we don't want to like to talk about the wrathful things. We want to talk about heaven and not hell. Interesting point. As I typed this in this week, my spell checker changed it to help. We like to talk about help. We don't like to talk about hell. And even, even my computer knows. <laughs> Be careful with AI. We want to talk about self-help, not sacrifice and surrender. But when we do 
talk about sacrifice and surrender, it's often used more about how it helps us, not how much we're actually going to sacrifice for God. We almost use it as a badge of honor. Look at what I've given up. Look at what I've sacrificed. Look at what I've done. Instead of look at what God has given up for us. It's almost as if we want to view God in one dimension. In the way, whatever way you want to see him, we want to view him in that way. Because we want to view, there's people that all they want to view God is, is God of love. But he's also the Lord. Now there's the other side of that. Who, there's some people who all they want to do is talk about God's wrath. They either want to be ultra positive or ultra negative. And I think that's unfair to God. I think that's unfair to talk about him in ways that, that don't truly define who he is. But you can't say that God's all love when he's also all Lord. And you can't say he's all Lord when he's all love. I, I love this passage of scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And this is actually setting up the next three sermons, so... This one and two more. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient towards you. Peter is saying that God is patient towards us. Peter knew that God was patient towards him. Not wishing that any should perish, that's the negative. But that all should come to repentance, that's the positive. We want to talk about, at times, God's anger, but not his angst. Yes, he hates sin. But he gave his life to save sinners. So he's patient towards us so that we get that idea down. And we concern ourselves with his anger, because we need to be concerned about it. But through the lens of his angst, the lens of his love. And it brought me to a hymn. You know, I should charge you guys more for this. <laughs> it's a hymn that I, I just kept singing over and over again. Um, and most people don't know it. But it's called Res Rescue the Perishing. And it's on page 70 of your All-American Hymn Book. <laughs> I think we should put hymn books back out. The All-Americans, so not, not the other ones, just the All-Americans. The song goes, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them that of Jesus the mighty who saves. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Do you believe that today? My actual, my favorite verse is the third verse, which you always skipped when you led worship in, in, in a hymn singing church. But it says, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings are buried that lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, weakened by kindness, chords that are broken will vibrate once more. Sorry, I can't see anything. <laughs> oh, I know the chorus, so. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. I can't tell you how many times I've sung that song in my lifetime. 
But I believe that God is just that. He is trying to rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Because there are people who are perishing and people that are dying. That's the negative. But the positive is it gives us Jesus that saves us from those things. The Bible in a few places makes a statement about itself. In fact, much of the Bible is written in this context of bitter and sweet. Revelation 10.10, the apostle John took a little scroll from the hand of an angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in his mouth. But when he had eaten it, his stomach was made bitter. Have you ever had a sermon like that? It starts out like, yes! And then you get to the end and you're like, ugh. I want to throw up. Or you read your Bible and the, the verse just starts out like, so like, yes, I'm so excited about Jesus. And then he gets to the end and then talks about you and your sin. <laughs> the Bible can be sweet. But it can be bitter. It can be sweet. And it can be sour. So today begins a two possible three-part conversation out of Isaiah chapter 5. Pat said, does Isaiah ever get better? Like, is there ever any positive stuff? Yeah, chapter 40. The 50s are great in the book of Isaiah. But you got to get there. So to give you some context, if you read your book, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 1 through 4 is about problems. Problems that were going on with the nation of Israel. Problems that we could probably identify in our, our time is, is, is that we're in. And Isaiah stop, chapter 5 starts with a promise and ends with a punishment. So glad you guys came this week. Because we're going to talk about sweet. It's called the Song of the Vineyard. And it's an allegory or a visual representation of the truth. Sometimes God spoke in these allegories so we would get pictures of, of what the truth is. And so that's Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And Isaiah 5, 1 says this. Let me sing. Let me sing. Let me sing. That's, this is personal. For my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Now, I tried to put some, some song to that, and the Beverly Hillbillies kept coming to mind. So, so don't let your kids watch shows that remind them of things and just screw them all up. Because it's in your head now. I, I, my beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. I, I couldn't stop. But I couldn't find any other tune that went with it. This song speaks of a love between two beings. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. If you read down just a little bit farther, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of, of Judah are his pleasant planting. So it's a, a, a love between two beings. Between God and between man and between man and between God. It's a sweet love song to God. And it concerns the vineyard. Now most of you know what a vineyard is, but just to remind you, a vineyard is a place where fruit is grown. 
The only purpose for having a vineyard is that you, raise, you, you grow fruit. And it's where wine is produced. So a, a vineyard is designed to create wine. And that's the purpose of this place. So there's this place that he's singing about that has a purpose. It's where fruit is grown and where wine is produced. And the fruit, com- the, the fruit comes from a vine, which is a very specific plant. And without spending all day long trying to convince you that this is Jesus, let me just tell you this is Jesus. Je- Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. That's a painful experience, amen? The pruning of God. But that's expected in the vineyard. So don't let it surprise you when God's trying to chasten you and trying to prune you, trying to cut off something because he believes there's more fruit possible in you but you've just become stagnant in your faith abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears fruit if you stay connected to Jesus you'll bear spiritual fruit for apart from me you can do nothing Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, which we learned last week. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And we talked about this being about Jesus. So there's a specific vine that God is planting that he is singing about, and he's singing about Jesus. But it's also talking about a specific spirit, which I kind of took liberty with that word. Because the fruit of the branch is wine. The fruit of the branch is wine. And wine represents joy and abundance and boldness. Now, I studied this out ad nauseum this week. Like, I just kept checking everybody who says, what is this wine? What is this wine? What is this wine? And they all said the same thing that that I got from the old guys that used to hold true to the scriptures. And they all believed that this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't, don't get drunk with wine where it's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So the comparison that, that Paul uses to being filled with the Spirit is to be drunk with wine. So this wine that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. So the vine speaks of Jesus and the wine speaks of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? He's singing about a vineyard. He's talking about this place. It has a purpose. And he says, in this, in this vineyard that should be bearing fruit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the vine of Jesus and the wine of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah is singing this song to God about this vineyard that God provides the vine and God provides the wine. Are you with me? This is not rocket science. He gives us the source of life, which is Jesus our Savior, and the sweetener of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And if you follow Jesus for a long time, you know that the Holy Spirit is the sweet, sweetest part of our faith. And he, verse 1, go back to verse 1. We say, let, us, let me sing of my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
meaning the vineyard was placed on a very fertile hill. I mean, that's just what it says. If you're placed in a very fertile hill, there's no excuse for a lack of growth or health. Amen? So he's talking about this vineyard where there's the Jesus and there's the Holy Spirit, and he plants us in a place where the growth and health should be happening in the lives of those that are participating or connected to the vine. Isaiah 5.2 says, He dug it, this is still part of the song, He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out the wine vat on it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, which is next week's sermon. But God dug it. The reason you dig is to soften the soil so the, the vine has a great, the, the roots of the vine have, have a place to grow. And that's really our hard hearts. Remember when God softened your heart towards the word of God? How he had to dig at it? How he had to work at it? How he had to sometimes take the blade of the shovel and jam it right in your heart? Because you weren't going to move and then all of a sudden your heart began to get soft towards the word of God and the things of God and it began to change the way that you viewed God? God dug it. You think you made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm telling you that it's Jesus digging around your heart, softening your heart that made you realize you need Jesus. God cleared it. That's the work of removing obstacles. What's the greatest obstacle in, in, in any of our lives? It's sin. He removed the obstacle through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So sin's not an obstacle to a believer because we have Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit which, who cleanses us from sin. So if sin's an obstacle, it's because you're choosing to put that obstacle back in your way. God planted it using his wisdom to plant the choice vines. That's the seed that's in the soil. God, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, God planted good seed in your heart. I'm going to say that again. God planted good seed in your heart. It was the best seed he could put in your heart, and it's the seed of his son, Jesus Christ. And he built a watchtower to protect it from birds and thieves. Remember, we preached here a few weeks ago on beware of the birds, how they want to snatch away the word of God. That's the parable of the soils. Or your, the ground of your heart is so hard that the seed hits the ground and, and you just, it just never gets any root. Or it gets root, but you're surrounded by weeds and thistles and thorns and the busyness of life kind of pulls you away from God. But he gave you a watchtower that you would bear fruit. I liken that to the church. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up unto love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but as a habit of some is, but encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day drawing near. Thieves want to come in and steal what God is trying to do in your life. And the devil wants to pluck it out. He wants to take it away. He doesn't want the word to land in any fertile soil. 
God built a wine press in there to produce the best wine. And that's really, the, as far as I believe, is the trials of the Christian life. It, it is said by winemakers that feet crushed by that wine crushed by feet and not machine is the best wine. That's what they say. But you know, the best Christians I know are the ones that have been crushed by the trials and tribulation of life. They've been pressed and pushed and shoved and crammed and squeezed and pressured. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Doesn't, don't you get tired of trials? Yet God did that on purpose to grow us and to develop us and to make us better wine. To allow us to rely more on the Holy Spirit than on ourselves. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire may be found to the result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials tell you whether your faith is true or not. Do you really believe that God loves you? Go through a trial. Do you really believe that God hears your prayers? Go through a trial. Experience some crushing. And what you'll experience is the Holy Spirit's telling you, you're still loved. I'm still there. Trust me. He planted this vineyard in this very fertile hill. So he gave us Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and planted us in this place where growth and health should be happening. There was this expectation that the vineyard that God built out of love for his people, providing salvation and sanctification through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Placing them in a place so fertile that there's no excuse to not bear spiritual fruit. That he looked for it to yield grapes. He just expected that if he plants us in this life through Jesus Christ and gives us the Holy Spirit, that we would yield grapes. We would yield more of God. But God looked for it to yield grapes. God's looking in you to see if you're yielding a life in the Holy Spirit, a life in Jesus Christ. And Isaiah's song speaks of God who did everything he could to give Israel the best life possible. But though he did everything to lead them to succeed, Israel sinned. Isaiah 5.3 says, and now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it produce wild grapes? Can I just ask you a question? What more was God to do to give you the best life possible? He gave you His Son Jesus. He gave you His Spirit. What more could he have done to give you the possibility or the ability to live the best life possible? You judge.
God says in his vineyard, he gave his people a son and his spirit. He gave us salvation through Christ and sanctification through the Holy Spirit. We're forgiven from our sins. We're cleansed of our sins. We're given an example to live life as Jesus Christ did. And we're given a guide to live this life through the Holy Spirit. He gave us his word to soften our hearts, removed our sins so we don't have to dwell in guilt and shame. He provided with us a church to encourage us and discourage us from provoking you unto love and good works. Should this song not include an expectation that if we choose to live in God's vineyard, that our lives will bear spiritual fruit? Should that not be the expectation that we should be spiritually healthy and happy and holy? Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in, the Father, Father, in my Father's name, he may give it to you. Go up a couple of verses, actually eight, and verse eight in John chapter 15 says, but th- by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Is it wrong for God to plant us in this amazing life and give us Jesus Christ to pay for our sins and give us the Holy Spirit to sanctify us from our sins? Is it wrong for him to expect us to not live the best life possible? Is it wrong for him? God has given Christians everything we need to succeed. To be spiritually healthy. He dug it, he cleared it, he planted it, he protected it, he produced it, he planted it in a very fertile hill. Think about this for a moment. He's given us every opportunity necessary through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to bear a fruitful life. A life of love and joy and peace even in the midst of long suffering. A life of gentleness, goodness, and faith that's built on hope. A life that's reliant on God and not myself. And he's looking for us to yield grapes not of wrath but of wonder. Do you get the picture that he's trying to paint? The sweet part of the song is how God provided salvation and sanctification, the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our sins to provide us a life of peace and spiritual prosperity. That we should be prospering in our prayer life. We should be prospering in our, uh, our devotional life. We should be prospering. Every time the word is preached, we should prosper from it. So he says, judge between him and, the, and his vineyard. Does Jesus make life better? I fought so hard last week to add more to that. And the more I'm studying this, the more I'm realizing, no, we need to shorten sermons and just say, does Jesus make life better? I think that's the challenge that he has us. Does Jesus make life better? What else could God have done to give you the best life possible? What else could he have done? And some of you have some thoughts. He gave you Jesus to pay for your sins. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us in, in life. So that our life would be the best, would bear the best wine so that we may live the best life possible. Does Jesus really make life better? 
Can we not take a moment and just celebrate that? That Jesus makes life better? That he planted you in a place, he put you in a place of life where he gave you Jesus Christ and he gave you the Holy Spirit to live the best life possible. Why are you producing wild grapes when he's given you the opportunity to produce a healthy life? Let's stand real quick. Let's see, we're going to be done almost. Let's praise him for the life he's prepared for us to live. Now, if you're not living it, that's on you, not him. If you're not living a life of joy and peace and love, you're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit. It's because you're not connected to the vine. He's given us everything we need to succeed. Everything. Can we not celebrate him for a moment? Can we not just give him some praise? More than just silently in your heart. Can you just like for a moment just thank Jesus? Let him hear your voice. Yeah, you're all uncomfortable now. He gave us Jesus. Let's just thank him for giving us Jesus. He gave us Jesus to pay for our sins. Come on. I know that's a simple thought. That's a simple truth. But how many of you just don't live your life thanking God for Jesus? Someone to pay for your sins. Somebody who covers your sins. Somebody whose blood was shed for your sins. What about gifting us with his spirit? His presence indwells every one of us that believe in Jesus Christ. And he guides us and he leads us and he sanctifies us. When was the last time you thanked God for the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you praised God for the gift of the, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what everybody wants to focus on is what we get instead of what you've been given. What you've been given is the Spirit of God who does not dwell in distant places but dwells because of Jesus Christ in my heart. We used to sing a song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Some of you don't have the joy. What else does he have to do? That's what this passage is saying. What else do I have to do to give you a joyful life. What else do I have to do to give you the best life possible? What else do I have to do than give you Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God? He's loved us so much to plant us in the best possible place to live the best possible life. We have an advantage that those in the world don't have. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Every advantage, we, we, can, we can do all things through Christ, right? Who strengthens us. And he's given us this sweet life. When was the last time you thought of Christianity as a sweet life? We can talk about the wild grapes if you want. We'll, we'll save that for next week. I just want to talk about the sweet life in Jesus Christ. 
yielding sweet grapes from a sweet God. God is, when was the last time you just thought, God, you are sweet? When I read your words, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I just think what a sweet, sweet, sweet God. So we're going to sing a song. Same song we did earlier. But I want to do this. I want to leave the altar open in case you just want to come and thank Jesus because it's been a long time since some of you have come to an altar and just said, Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. Jesus, thank you for loving me. It's been a long time since you've come to the altar and said, Holy Spirit, thank you for being in me. Thank you for sanctifying me. Thank you for saving me according to Titus chapter 3. Whenever you girls are ready. Altar's open. Because the question might be asked, what else does God have to do? What else does he have to do? Remember those walls that caused sin and shame And they were like prisons that we couldn't escape But he came and he died and he rose Those walls are rubble now They are rubble now Remember those giants we called death and grave and they were like mountains that stood in our way but he came and he died and he rose those giants are dead now come on man they're dead now that's all it gets and this is our god this is who he is he loves us this is our god this is what he does he saves us he bore the our breath away used to live that way a faith so weak that we could barely pray but he heard every word a whisper and now those altars in the wilderness they tell a story of his faithfulness never once did he fail Jesus, who rescued me? 
could he do today? What else could he do? What else could he do? He's given us everything we need to succeed. Amen. Do we live every day in that spirit with that attitude? Do we live every day believing that God is just amazing, that God is so loving and God is so kind? I'm not saying we'll talk about the wild grapes next week. We'll talk about how we reject it. In fact, his statement is when I looked for it to yield wild grapes, why did it produce wild, yield grapes? Why did it produce wild grapes? I mean, that's the question for next week. Why, if he's given us this opportunity for this amazing life, would we choose any other life than that? Why would we choose sin over a Savior? When he's offered us this amazing life. And I, I wonder how many of us are actually living a life in Christ that is filled with joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. How many of us are living this life in Christ where it's a positive thing to us, where it's a good thing that we got saved. It's a good thing that he's changed our life. It's a good thing that we go through trial. When was the last time you just said, God, thank you for this trial. Bring it on. Give me some more. There's better wine in me. Bring on the feet. Come on. When was the last time you prayed instead of praying, God, end this trial, you said, God, don't end me in this trial. Let me see the goodness out of it. When was the last time? When was the last time you just told your kids, I love Jesus? When was the last time you told your kids, I love that God gave me his spirit, that his spirit indwells me, that God's presence is right here. He's not off in this far distant place. He is right within me. But why is it producing wild grapes? I want you to pray about this all week. Father, why do I choose sin over a life of salvation? And I want to pray for you with that. Let's do that. Father, Fanny Crosby said that we are to rescue the perish and care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. In this horrible world that we live in, such wickedness, some, such, such sinfulness, all of our entertainment, none of it is any good for us. None of it celebrates Jesus. None of it celebrates the Spirit of God. Even the stuff that they're putting on TV about the church, none of it's positive. But there are still people that are dying without Jesus Christ. And they should see us in unity, not in, in separation. They should see us praising your name, even in the most difficult trials of our lives, because we have been planted in the most positive place we could be, planted with Christ and planted with his, your spirit. You bore the cross and beat the grave. I, I, I can't get over that six words. Let us let the world know that the best life possible is in Jesus Christ. That if somebody wants 
to turn their life around, that Jesus Christ is the one who will do that. And that your spirit will give them the ability to do that as well. Let us be a testimony to the world that there is a God who saves us. Who can give us the best life possible. He's planted us in a very fertile hill. We love you, Father. Encourage our hearts to seek your face today and to honor you, to praise you. Let, let us tell our waiters or waitresses if we go to a restaurant today that Jesus makes life better. Because we believe it in this place. And if there's somebody here, Lord God, that doesn't know Jesus in that way, Father, we're not going to chase them down, but we're going to ask them to come chase us down. We'll tell them how Jesus Christ can pay for, has paid for their sins. We'll tell them how the Spirit of God can come inside of them and wash away the filth of their sin. That your Spirit can once again indwell a sinner's heart. But they've got to come. Father, just be with our hearts today. We love you so. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Guys, Jesus makes life better. Have a great afternoon.